Oh, snap! The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and where friends don't let friends feed kibble. Well, happy Wednesday. That's hump day. And that's officially Dr. Judy Jasek Day. Good morning, Dr. Jasek. Good morning and happy hump day to everybody. Hump did it, did it, do. We need a hump song. <laughs> we need a hump it, do song. Well, what's going on? You know, it's uh, snowing again up here in the mountains. I think, uh, you know, we snow all the way into May. I cannot put my flowers out until after Mother's Day because as soon as I do, it's going to dump. Yep. It's a great way to bring on the snow is the plant. I remember last year down here, because I'm a lower elevation than you, we had that big foot of snow and I'd already put my tomato plants out and I had to go like, I bought a bunch of buckets and I had to put buckets, you know, upside down on top of them because it was a spring snow is going to be really heavy and tarps and all that stuff. So I'm pretty sure that was in May. So yeah, it's so deceptive here because you get a couple nice warm days and you're like, oh, okay, you know, spring's on its way. And then, eh, yeah, no, not so much. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's, it's mother's day. I've learned it. You know, I've been, uh, so I have grow lights no, mm-hmm. I'm not doing weed. Uh, mm-hmm. I have grow lights on my plants. And and I've been able to uh, weather over plants for about five years. And so saving money, you know, saving money. Nice. I, sh- nice. I should probably be growing food down there uh, <laughs> from what That's we right. know about our food supply. What are you hearing about this beyond beef, this fake meat that uh, is uh, going on out there that people think, yeah. well, that's a good idea. You know, I was just listening to a podcast with uh, Dr. Mercola this morning, and because he was talking about it, and he said it's it's um, they're mostly soy protein, so um, high glyphosate content. He said they're going to be very toxic because it's all like GMO GMO soy, so um, you know, going to have a lot of glyphosate on it, and uh, so it's going to be very toxic. And then they put um, something what did he say? It's some kind of yeast culture or something to make it look bloody, you know, oh. like, because so people like, it looks like real meat, you know, um, it's some kind of, I don't know, manufactured synthetic yeast product, something or other that they put in to make it look bloody. So it's all, it's all artificial. And I think, you know, and they're doing it under such a false pretense that it's going to help with climate change because car farts are, or cow farts, <laughs> cow farts are ruining the uh, environment, you know, of because they're, they're toxic. But if you raise animals responsibly and out on the land, like they're supposed to be in grazing where their pee and poop are going back into the ground, he actually quoted um, a man. I think it's, I think his name is Harris. Will Harris. I think he's a farmer in in the south that does permaculture and he said he he believes he's actually you know 
con contributing to the, you know, he's actually saving carbon in the soil. When you have good, healthy soil, it actually accumulates carbon. And that's like a good thing. You have healthier and healthier and healthier soil instead of in like these big feedlots where the pee and poop just goes out into the environment, doesn't do any good. It's being recycled back into the soil. So you're actually regenerating the environment when you're doing that. So, you know, they don't talk about that there's other ways to raise animals that are healthy. We all know these god-awful CAFOs, these confined animal feed operations, or I think that's what it stands for. Anyway, they got all these animals just crammed in these ginormous feedlots or chicken houses, and it's incredibly unhealthy. They're in unsanitary, unhealthy conditions. Like, I don't think anybody would say that those are good. But there's a but there's an alternative and they don't talk about that. They don't talk about how you can raise animals responsibly and all the soy that they're raising for this fake meat. Do you think that's good for the environment? No, they're stripping soils. They're removing topsoil. They're using, you know, toxic fertilizers and glyphosate. So it's just the way they're presenting it is just it's such a big scam. And I think a lot of people are falling for it, especially people that choose not to eat meat. The vegans and vegetarians think this is great, but they don't realize how really destructive it's going to be for our environment and for our bodies. Well, come on. We can't tell the truth about things. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't believe anything anymore. I'm so, unless I verify it, I'm so, I'm just so, I'm just so cynical. I just, you know, it just, you just, you really, you really can't trust what you hear. You better, you gotta, you gotta verify it because you don't know what, you know, the powers that be are going to come out with as their next agenda. Well, you know, look, if it is a moneymaker, we go a different way and uh, we're going to do things that we can make money on and control the serfs because that's who we are. Did you know you're a serf? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of figuring figuring that out, you know. But uh, <laughs> but you know what? You know what? Our our one of our latest missions is 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 uh, we got notification that they're going to be putting a smart meter on our house. Oh, no. Have you got Have you gotten one of those? No, we opted out. You have to pay more to not get cancer. Oh, so they actually are letting you opt out of it? Uh, yeah, they will let for now, for yeah. now. But they will make it hard on you if you. You know, there. I've mm -hmm. seen videos where it's not good for the people up in the mountains uh, to reject, right? Reject uh, what mm -hmm. they want. So what's happening with you? What did you yeah. say? Well, so Chris, my husband, found this guy. His name's Cal Washington. And he has this whole program about how you can you go through a, like a legal process to decline it. Because legally, when they send you that letter, they are technically making you an offer, it's it, they it, they present it like they're just doing this and you have no choice. But really, it's it's an offer. And so the way to approach it legally, according to him, is you send these packets. We mailed these off yesterday. You you find like three or four executives in like Excel is our power company, and you they have these big long packets, like twenty some pages. Of a, like a counter offer that you send to them, but it's all like in legalese. And there's, he has all these hours and hours of videos on why you say everything in there that you do, but you're basically calling them out on the fact that they have no right to do this, that they are trespassing, 
that you have the right to protect your, your domicile, your home, but it's in the, like the, you know, that there's different law languages, right? There's common law and maritime law and you, you have to language it correctly. So this guy does all this for you. You pay him. It's like 150 bucks. I didn't think that was too bad. And he's got all these documents and you just have to find the people to send them to. But then you, you have these documents notarized with two witnesses. So we went to the bank yesterday, me and my husband and his sister, we got his sister to come along to witness the notar notarization. And we also have to sign that we witnessed that they were mailed via certified mail. So they can't claim that they never got them. You know, we can verify that, that they were sent. And then basically you wait now two weeks and see if you get a response. And then you, I think, send out another packet to these individuals and you just wait and see. Like they said, a lot of times we'll get a letter from their attorney saying that you have no right to do this, blah, blah, blah. And then this organization helps us, you know, determine what our next steps are. But then if they do come out and put it on, you say, okay, you did this without our authorization. And so because their initial letter is an offer, you make them a counter offer and say, okay, we got this on our house. We're going to charge you $1,000 a day. So you kind of go back and forth and just put some pressure on them. And I, mean, I don't know if it's going to work, but I just feel like we have to push back against this stuff. We we can't just sit by and let this happen. And the more people that, you know, send these packets in and make it a little inconvenient for these, I mean, these are like the executives, the high level in Excel that we're sending these to. Some of them aren't even in the state. If more people do this and say, look, this isn't right, maybe they'll take notice. I don't know. But if we want things to change, we can't just sit here and take what they're dishing out to us. Right. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, what's the what's the use? Right. What's the use? They are not going to they are not going to stop. Well, they're not going to stop. We don't do anything. Right. And and it, and it goes even as far as antibiotics, Dr. Jasek. Right. So I was looking at, you know, the antibiotic resistance that we're seeing in dogs. Now, we're not just seeing them in dogs, but we see it in people as well. And this, again, is because we're allowing our health professionals to prescribe antibiotics um, for no good reason, right? Beyond, mm -hmm. uh, so in this article I was reading, what is the cause of antibiotic resistance? Um, well, it's over prescribing, prescribing antibiotics unnecessarily or without proper bacteria testing. I ask this question all the time when people come to us and they're having gut issues and they're having problems and they say, well, I got these antibiotics and I'm saying, what bacteria was tested and found that uh, that antibiotic was prescribed for? And nine and a half times out of 10, I'm going to bet 9.9 .9 times out of 10, the pet parent has no idea. Okay. And, and, and this is not good. So, you know, it, we we've got to um we, we've got to know why we are getting these antibiotics and in this article it said um that one of the biggest reasons is because the parents 
the pet parents are asking for something from their vet to help their dog and they want those antibiotics. But I'm not certain that pet parents understand that, yes, you can kill bad bacteria, but you also kill all bacteria, the good and the bad. And that's where we start getting these um, drug, I mean, these antibiotic resistant bacteria. And and the thing about it is, Dr. Jasek, that's happening in food as well. We were talking about, you know, beyond beef, but the, the food system is another way that, um, that we can get this antibiotic resistant problem because those cows <laughs> that you just described that are standing in those, um, feedlots, they get sick. So what do they do? They they shoot them up with antibiotics. Now, I will say there there are laws that say you cannot harvest those cows until a certain time so that supposedly the antibiotics get out of the system. But that still causes this antibiotic resistant um, problem that we have. Right. Right. And do they, they know that they're actually getting out of their system and, you know, they're, they're creating really, really unhealthy animals in the process. I mean, I, when I hear that, I think, well, if we're keeping the animals in such unhealthy conditions that they're getting sick all the time and I, and they put these like antibiotics just right in the feed. I mean, they don't wait for animals to get sick. They just treat them with them all the time because they're in such unhealthy and stressful conditions that they tend to get sick and they want them to gain weight. Matter of fact, I, I heard that there's certain antibiotics that they've shown, and I don't know exactly what the mechanism is for this, but that, that certain antibiotics cause weight gain. Well, what do you want in a feedlot animal that you're taking to market? You want them to weigh as much as possible because you get more money for them. So these antibiotics, and maybe just because they're creating like an unhealthy metabolism, I, I'm not sure the mechanism, but I have heard that they figured out that, oh, the animals that are on antibiotics do gain weight. Maybe they're, you know, keeping them a little healthier. I'm not sure why, but that's, you know, the bottom line is money. It's the bottom line's always money in these big uh, operations. They want to get as much out of these animals. And literally these animals in these feedlots, they are literally killing them. I mean, they, they, you know, they slaughter them for meat at like what, probably 18 to 24 months of age, but they would not survive much beyond that. They're so unhealthy. They are literally dying because of their, because of their care. And they're just trying to keep them alive long enough uh, to get them, get them to market. But the more, the more antibiotics that get out in just into the world in general, the more antibiotics that are out there that bacteria can be exposed to, well, they, the bacteria evolve and they become resistant so that the antibiotics don't kill them off. So the more antibiotics are used, the more resistance you're going to get to them. Yeah, I was I was reading that the AVMA, okay, the American Veterinary Medical Association, um, that they said that the amount of unnecessary use of antibiotics in our companion animals is close to 50%, 50%. Mm. <laughs> okay. So these dogs, 
uh, are given antibiotics often without test results. And uh, the, the, the problem too is not just that, but they're also prescribing antibiotics that are far more potent than is needed for the issue, right? Or for longer periods of time. And you and I have talked about that before, but there's not been really any new antibiotics uh, that have been created, right? They've been using the same antibiotics for a long time, but this is a problem. And we need to, we need our pet parents to really ask, what is the bacteria that has been uh, found? What did you, you know, test for? Make sure that you're getting a test before you just take an antibiotic for just in case. And the problem is, is that people have a belief that you can do a antibiotic and then put a probiotic in the body and that's going to take care of it. Or uh, do a vaccine and take an anti-vaccinosis or a rebalancer and that will take care of it. And that's not necessarily true, guys. What we want to do is have the body and the immune system in such a state that it can fend off um, invaders in the world or toxins in the world, right? And there's a lot of alternatives, Dr. Jasek, to just doing antibiotics. I did a podcast uh, last night on Manuka honey, right? So Mm -hmm. it has antiseptic properties Mm -hmm. and um, there's all types of things, olive leaf, um, there are essential oils, there's garlic, there's, um, oregano, oregano oil is another good one. Yeah. I mean, and you do this now, let me ask you as a holistic vet, um, you do a lot of herbs. So let's say, what is the situation in which you would not use an antibiotic and what would you use instead? Well, it, it would, you know, depend on what's going on. I mean, there's really very few times anymore that I would jump right on to an antibiotic unless there's like strong evidence that we have something bacterial going on. Like say you've got a big, you know, goopy abscess or something, you know, Um, sometimes antibiotics are warranted. Their bite wounds are one time that I, boy, I see those just get really nasty and like the back, but we know, I mean, if you have a history of a bite wound and now you've got a big nasty abscess there, you know, that's a bacterial cause because bite wounds, you know, the tooth punctures the skin and introduces a lot of bacteria and then seals over. And then the bacteria grow, um, underneath the skin. And so if, if, you know, there's like, say the pet's running a high fever and you've got a big goopy abscess after a, a bite wound, I might use antibiotics there, but just for a couple of days. And what I found is if you treat that uh, abscess, you drain it, hot packet, drain all that pus out of there, and then maybe do like, you know, 72 hours worth of antibiotics. You don't need to do days and days. You certainly don't need to do weeks. If antibiotics are going to work, they're going to work in a few days. Oh, snap. Um, but sometimes, you know, I find out how you can start um, your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com where friends don't let friends road. feed kibble and where you your know, pet's um, health is our it, business. It was drained, so I had to drain some pus. And so 
I'm like, okay, it's an abscess. We opened it up, drained it. We did not do antibiotics. It's a very holistic client. I said a lot of times these can be managed um, without antibiotics. We didn't know what caused it at that point. Well, the infection persisted, infection persisted. She ended up taking the dog into the emergency room and they were very clear in their report that they did not feel as appropriate that I had not prescribed antibiotics, which they did. The abscess still persisted. And then one day a little foxtail popped out of there. So there was a foreign body in there. It was not persisting because it was a lack of antibiotics. It was persisting because we hadn't identified the cause. So, you know, that that was a case where if, if that antibiotic or if that um, the foreign body had come to the surface sooner and we could actually see it, um, we would have been able to remove it. But that it was just such a big abscess in an area of the body it was hard to to find. So if we gotten that out of there from the get, it's like getting a sliver in your finger. You can run to the doctor for antibiotics when you get a, you know, you get a little sliver and it gets all pussy and sore. And if you can get that sliver out, then in a day it's healed and it's fine. Sort of that sort of thing. But I, I agree. If, if we're going to use antibiotics, there needs to be very specific circumstances that those are appropriate and asking what bacteria did you find? I think that's a very valid question because there's this whole thing, just like when people talk about raw food, like they lump all bacteria into this same category and they're all bad, like bacteria are bad and they're everywhere and, you know, just waiting to infect your pet or something's, you know, your pet's sick. So it's probably some bacteria and if they're eating raw food, it's probably some bacteria from the raw food. Well, there's way more good bacteria than there are bad bacteria. And we need these good bacteria. These, these good bacteria help keep our bodies healthy. And like you said, every time you use antibiotics, you're wiping out these good beneficial bacteria. And it's in the gut, sure, but it's not just in the gut. It's in the skin and in our respiratory tract. All these external surfaces on the body has a microbiome, a natural microbiome that helps keep it healthy. And every time you use antibiotics, you're destroying that. So why do dogs that say have itchy skin that are put on antibiotics all the time, they get these itchy, they get itchy skin, they get these skin rashes, they're put on antibiotics and they may appear to get better, but as soon as you stop the antibiotics, it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back and it comes back worse and worse and worse. Why? Because you're destroying all these natural defenses and you're not treating anything. Yeah. Maybe there was a few bacteria growing there that were maybe contributing to this rash formation, but you're not getting to the underlying cause. You're just at that point, the antibiotics are just a band-aid and they're doing way more harm than good. Did that pet parent put their dog on antibiotics? I think she, I'd have to look back at the record. I do think she did at that point because we were like several days in and I think they scared her into, oh my gosh, we need antibiotics. And so I think she did, but it, like I said, it still didn't resolve until this foreign body popped out of there. And nobody sent you, I'm sorry, you were right letter, did they? <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't, we don't nor was I expecting one. <laughs> we don't get those very often. Um, okay. So another alternative to antibiotics that has been poo-pooed by the veterinary uh, association is garlic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, in 2000, there was a study 
and that came down on garlic that said it was so dangerous for dogs. But here's why it was dangerous, because they fed five grams of garlic per kilogram of body weight to dogs each day. And that's about mm, five whole garlic heads for a golden retriever sized dog. Okay. Yeah. I'd, I'd be sick, but, but garlic contains sulfoxides and dulcifides and, and those can damage red blood cells and cause anemia. But only when you feed freaking five whole garlic heads to a dog. Come on. Right. It, right. It's sort of like everything that they do. Oh, it's going to kill you. Well, yeah, because you didn't feed the right dose. Come on, people. Yeah. Do it. Use it. Yeah. You, use your use your common sense. I mean, if anybody ate that much garlic, you'd be sick. Well, it's you like know? when they do the test on the rats and they're like giving, you know, a whole bag of sugar or whatever they give. You know, it's like, come on. Let's let's do the right amounts. But garlic is very beneficial. It is very safe. And it was one of the top essential oils for Lyme disease. And, hmm. and, and yeah, and in that uh, they found that it performed better than the top three antibiotics. Why? Because it has antiseptic, antifungal, and antimicrobial. Well, well, there you go. That's why they can't let us, you know, know that garlic is bad because then people wouldn't buy as many, you know, other, other drugs and then they lose money. Well, we couldn't have that, that big pharma is losing money, heaven forbid. Right. So it, it says, you know, garlic is very safe and beneficial. It can prevent blood clots, mm -hmm. deter pest. Ooh, I'm going to start eating garlic, uh, prevent tumors and remove waste. Yeah. There's uh, actually a, a company called Springtime that makes a dry, it's just dry garlic supplement. It's called Bug Off for repelling um, insects. Flea. I recommend it to people that live where there's a lot of fleas and ticks to try that, at least, you know, during the, the high insect seasons, you know, and supposedly the dogs smell like garlic and the bugs don't like that. So yeah, there, there are some enzymes in the garlic when you crush it. And they say, only wait 10 minutes. Um, it's called Allison, mm -hmm. Allison, I think, uh, A-L-L-I-C-N. Um, and that is what is attributed to the many health benefits of mm -hmm. garlic. And they even say it's effective against, you know, multi-drug resistant strains of E. coli. Um, and it can also help manage yeast infections, parasites. So the way that you want to prepare garlic, if you're not going to get the springtime uh, product, if you want to do it at home, you need to um, peel the cloves and mince, chop or crush them. Okay, let it sit for a couple of minutes, but don't wait too long or the beneficial uh, Allison will degrade. 10 minutes, they say, should do it. And here's the dosing amount. Keep this, you know, write this down. Um for a five pound dog, it's one sixth of a teaspoon, a 10 pound dog, one third of a teaspoon, 15 pounds, a half a teaspoon, 20 pound dog um, is two thirds teaspoon. And above that, I believe is one teaspoon. Okay. Um, so yeah, teaspoon, T-A-S-P is teaspoon. Uh, but don't use garlic for pregnant dogs or puppies under six months old. And uh, you probably want to contact Dr. Judy Jasek and talk to her about that, okay, before maybe you jump into it by yourself. If you're unclear, we don't want to give five cloves of garlic to a dog, okay? Let's be right. sensible, people. Let's right, but it's a great home remedy, right? I mean, 
it, and it's not going to have the the um, adverse effects of antibiotics either. Now, I would say if you gave a lot of garlic regularly, you might have some impact on the microbiome. I know I've taken oregano oil sometimes when I have felt sick or, you know, something's going on and not sure what. And oregano oil is like a antibacterial and antiviral and anti every, it kills everything. It tastes awful. It's just the most God awful stuff. Take it in a capsule. Don't put a drop of oregano oil directly in your mouth. You will only do it once. <laughs> it really, it burns like a, like a son of a gun. But I, I've also found that that if I do that for like a few days in a row, it might, it starts to affect my gut a little bit. My gut starts to get a little rumbly and like, okay, time to back off on that. But it's still way healthier than, um, than conventional antibiotics. You know, you mentioned um, Manuka honey. I have, a, I have a story to share about Manuka honey. My first introduction to that, um, I was working on a dog that is a uh, Irish wolfhound. So these are like ginormous dogs. They're the biggest dogs I think I've seen. They're just structurally, they're so big. They're not massive, like a mastiff. They're lean, but they're like, they're so long. <laughs> they're just huge. Um, anyway, this dog broke its toe just running in its yard. They're so big that he had like pivoted on his on his uh, back foot running and broke his toe. So it wasn't a super serious fracture. So we put it in a splint. Well, the dog got a pressure sore from the splint, which happens frequently in splints, especially in big dogs. And the pressure sore got infected and it was really nasty. And I did culture it and it was MRSA. So MRSA is methicillin resistant um, uh, staph. And I think it's staph aureus, but it's, it's so again, you're talking about bacterial resistance. This is a particular form of staph. You know, you hear these stories about like flesh eating bacteria and you see these horrific pictures sometimes of people that bacterial infections that don't heal. MRSA is one of these. It's very, very hard to treat. It's, you know, they say it's methicillin resistant, which that is an antibiotic. So this is a very um, resistant form of the um, staph bacteria. But, so anyway, I cultured it and it's very scary bacteria. So like I, I was going to put, well, we did put this dog on antibiotics because this was just a nasty wound and it was not healing and it was concerning. Well, this dog could not tolerate antibiotics. I mean, it would just start, started vomiting and, and everything. And, and the owner who was very holistic said, I'd never heard of Manuka honey at this point. This was maybe, I don't know, 15 or so years ago. And Manuka honey used to have to order it like directly from New Zealand is where it comes from. It's trees in New Zealand. And um, she had found it. And she said, I read that this was um, effective against MRSA. Can we try it? And I'm like, heck yeah, because I didn't know what to do at that point. And she ordered it and um, got it in. And we put it topically on this wound and orally. She'd let the dog just kind of lick some off a spoon. And she took pictures. And I kid you not, in 72 hours, this wound was nearly healed. And this was a bacteria that like even the best of the best antibiotics sometimes do not get on top of. And the Manuka honey completely took care of it. So I've recommended Manuka honey for like a wound dressing. You can put it right on open wounds. You can put it on surgical incisions. It's very, very safe. Honey in general actually is very healing, but Manuka honey in particular has really strong antibacterial effects. So this was a case where even the conventional antibiotics we're not going to work on this dog, but the Manuka honey did. So I just think that's a cool story. 
Well, and I have got it in my survival kit. I do. There you go. Yep. I have it in case the zombies come out and uh, we are being fed beyond beef. (laughs) Crap. Help me. Yes. God help us all. But I do have uh, Manuka honey in my survival kit. And uh, so that's one that I would think. And one thing that I said on the podcast is that you want your Manuka honey to have at least the UMF of 10 plus, and uh, you can get it higher than that. And that, um, you know, that's your, your Manuka honey uh, rating. So get 10 plus or better. All right. So Dr. Jacek, I've got a question from one of our listeners. uh, And this is from Logan. Logan um, says, good morning, raw fam. This question is for Dr. Judy Jacek. Uh, I have a 24-week-old German shorthair puppy, and I was taking a peek to see if she's lost all her puppy teeth, and it looks like her canine is coming in but has retained a deciduous canine. I would love to hear your thoughts on what should be done. And uh, Logan was a great, great help in this. He sent us pictures so you could actually see what's going on here. What would you do uh, for this German short-haired puppy, Dr. Jasek? Well, I just love this question because it's such an easy answer. Most questions, most questions are not so simple, but um, I, looking at this picture, um, the adult canine has erupted and it's growing in, but it's not fully erupted yet. And there's about a 99% chance that puppy tooth is going to come out as as that adult canine um, grows in. So I would do nothing and let nature take its course. You can actually see in the picture that the base of that puppy tooth is kind of discolored. It looks kind of reddish. It's not that bright, pearly white anymore. Um, so that's a sign that it's getting ready to come out. And in most all larger breed dogs, <laughs> it's very rare that they have permanently retained puppy teeth. Um, some small breed dogs, especially the dogs with the... Um, Oh, the the shorter noses, your Shih Tzus and Lhasa Apsos and those types of dogs, um, because their teeth tend to be grow a little bit crooked anyway, um, are more prone to having permanently retained puppy canine teeth. And if that happens, then I do recommend getting those teeth extracted. If you are going to spay or neuter a dog, um, that's a good time to do it. They're usually not a problem. You can leave them in and then, because it, it does require general anesthesia to remove these these teeth even though they're puppy teeth they'd still they're still painful to get out of there so you do have to anesthetize them so if you're going to spay and neuter do it then if you're not going to i would still get the teeth removed because they they crowd that uh, the healthy adult canine they crowd that tooth and you build up a lot of um, debris plaque and um, that forms into tartar in between those teeth and that makes the mouth unhealthy and more predisposed to infection. But in this case, because that canine is not completely erupted yet and the dog's six months old, so probably within the next few weeks, I'd expect that that little canine tooth is going to come out on its own. You know, what's what's amazing to me in this picture that we're looking at is that the adult canine is coming in very sharp, right? Where you mm-hmm. see the, the, the puppy one doesn't look as sharp. Is that always that way? Where the puppy tooth is is not that sharp, uh, but then when the adult tooth comes in, it gets that 
you know, ability to rip shred and tear things apart? No, actually puppy teeth, like are usually really sharp. Like, you know, if you ever get nipped by a puppy, you know, puppies are mouthy and their puppy teeth are very sharp. I think they just get to a point where they wear down, where they, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a point. I bet a couple of months ago, that tooth had a much sharper point, but the teeth, the puppy teeth literally just kind of start to die. Those roots just sort of die off and they lose their attachment. And I think the the tooth is just more likely to be worn down. Plus this is a six month old puppy. So it's probably starting to chew on things that are a little more maybe abrasive to those puppy teeth and wearing that point down. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a puppy in a while. Uh, I know it was so fun to see this picture. Like, ah, puppy teeth. (laughs) And I like the way puppies smell. They have a certain smell. The puppy breath. Like the milk, that milk breath. Yeah. Oh, love it. Love it. I, I don't, I don't know what it is that we like that, but I like it. I like it. Uh, all right, everybody. Well, listen, if you want Dr. Judy Jasek to answer a question right here on the podcast, you can send us your questions. Just send them uh, through our contact page over at rawdogfoodandco.com. Remember that Dr. Judy Jasek is doing uh, Zoom calls. She's doing telemedicine. That means that you can send in your uh, veterinary records. That is one thing I forgot I wanted to ask you about really quick before we go today, Dr. Jasek. You and I were talking about uh, uh, before the podcast started. Something is going on with veterinary records that should alarm our pet parents. Tell us about that. Yeah. So this is back to vaccines, which Boy, it's just the whole the whole vaccine requirements in the industry is just getting more and more disheartening um, just because of the harm it's doing to pets. But what I've been seeing lately is more and more vaccines being required every single year instead of every three years. So you're the the core vaccine booster that dogs typically get this is your dh you'll see it on your records like dhp dhpp might be dhppl if they stuck a little lepto in there you definitely don't want to do that one um but it's it's um parvo distemper parainfluenza hepatitis this is the core vaccination sometimes vets will say this is the parvo shot or this is the distemper shot but it's usually this combination shot. Well, years ago, I mean, it's probably been like 15 years ago now, maybe longer. It came out and this is actually the AVMA came out with recommendations that said that these vaccines do not need to be given every year. Um, And I think this was because of some pushback from people, you know, questioning the validity of do we need to really be giving these year after year after year. And the official narrative on the conventional side, AVMA said, no, they do not. And so vaccine manufacturers, actually, they they were relabeled, the, these vaccines. They were labeled to be given every three years. And this includes rabies. And this is really important for rabies because if your veterinary, veterinarian, your veterinary clinic puts on, on the record that this is a one-year rabies, even if this vaccine was labeled for three years, if it goes on that rabies certificate that it's a one year and it's due in a year, that is what stands with animal control or anybody that questions the rabies status of your dog. It's up to the veterinary clinic. And why are they putting it in as one year instead of three year? 
It's to get you back in the door. It's, it's a business model. And it's just, it's atrocious, in my opinion. It's so unethical because these vaccines have been labeled for three-year use for many, many years. And now vet clinics are just putting them on. Because I always, you know, vaccines are a big thing for me. I'm always looking at vaccine history on my clients. And when I get records from their other clinics, I am looking at this really closely. And it's up until, honestly, in the last you know, year or so, these vaccines always used to be three years, always. And now I'm seeing more and more of them one year. So be really careful about that. If you do need to get updated vaccines for some reason, or, and especially the rabies, make sure that they're putting that in as a three-year. Now for young dogs, the way, usually the way the vaccines are labeled after the first rabies vaccine, it should be boosted in a year. It's still, it's all the same vaccine. That's just the way the labeling is written, but definitely on adult dogs, they should not be given any more than three years, every three years. I, you know, I have a neighbor who, um, they've had their dog, their dog was, was boosted, uh, twice in like three months because (laughs) they took it upon themselves to decide that this dog was due and so he got a double dose in a very, very short time. And he'd already been, he's, he's six years old. He'd already had many, mm-hmm. right? So uh, this is not good. So basically what we need to make sure is that we know what the records say and know how they are listing that, correct? Right, right. Look look at it and you know, ask, are you putting this in as a one-year or as a three-year? And if they say, oh, well, it's a one-year, I mean, ask to see the package insert, you know, uh, I mean, maybe there's some vaccines out there that the manufacturers are starting to put, you know, uh, you know, on the uh, recommendations that it's every year, but there's no reason for that either, because you, you, and you say you want a three-year rabies, you want a three, you know, before you go in for the appointment, say, is this going to be a one-year or three-year? And if they don't have a three-year, then you find somebody that does if for some reason they have a vaccine that's labeled for annual annual use, which to my knowledge, that's not the case, that they all got kind of moved to this three-year protocol. Um, but ask before you even go in so you're not stuck or God forbid your dog gets the shot and they won't do it, make sure that they will put this on as a three-year vaccine because that is what's going to determine when your dog technically needs that booster again. So I was talking to a customer that moved to Texas from Colorado and she was telling me that where she lives in New Braunfels, Texas. Okay. So that's the hill country that they require a one year rabies. However, outside of that area, it's three years. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and what, I mean, if the if the vaccines are labeled for three year use, why would they be requiring it every three year every or every year? I don't know. That's good information. So I will contact her back. And her husband happens to be an attorney. <laughs> so, oh, there you go. <laughs> so uh, I will say, listen. And she's and she's, you know, she is not afraid to speak up. She's one of those very, you know, has a voice for her pets, and she's going to protect them at all costs. So I am going to. 
uh, send her this podcast and send her an email and say, hey, take a look at those product inserts and see what they say. Yeah. And if she gets the like the name of the manufacturer, it actually should be on her rabies certificate, the, the manufacturer of the vaccine that the dog was given. And she should be able to look up the like the package insert online. Usually you can just Google those and, and find that and find, and then it, if, if she goes, if she looks it up and says, well, it's approved for three years by the manufacturer and then maybe goes back to, you know, her municipality and, you know, let's push back, raise a little, raise a little stink. I'm, I'm into being a rebel these days. Like we got to do something. Exactly. Let's what raise a little, let's raise a little hell here. What fun is it being milk toast? Come on, not fun at all. What not did fun. they? What's that bumper sticker I've seen? Well-behaved women never made never make history or something like that. Oh, I've never <laughs> seen that, but I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. <laughs> all right, everybody. Remember, you can get over to ahavet.com ahavet.com where you can uh, get an appointment with Dr. Jasek. She can Zoom with you. Um, get your vet records together. Get them over to her. But remember, Dr. Jasek is but one person and very, very busy. So you do not want to wait until the last minute to get a second opinion. All right. You just don't want to wait. So get in there now. Uh, get signed up. And uh, that's at ahavet.com. Remember, you've got to get your dogs on a species-appropriate diet, a species-appropriate diet. And one thing I want to say really quick is that um, bacon grease is not species-appropriate, okay? You know what, Dr. Jasek, a lot of people, they hear us say um, animal fat is great for dogs. The one piece that they're missing is it's raw. It is not cooked. Mm -hmm. It is not the leftover grease from your salmon, from your bacon, you know, all this, you know, stuff that's coming out of the pan. No, we are talking about raw fat, raw mm -hmm. fat. Okay. Bacon grease, very dangerous, very bad for mm -hmm. your dog. Especially if it's full of nitrates and sugar and all the other, you know, I mean, there are healthy bacons out there, but yeah, I agree. It should be fresh, fresh fat. Yeah, we don't want to denature it. Anytime you're going to cook it, you're going to change it from its raw um, composition. That's denatured, okay? That's why, and we won't get into it today. Uh, Neely and I deal with it on the next podcast about these protein levels, right, that they are stating on the kibble diets. You guys will address that tomorrow on the podcast, but um, don't let that fool you either, right? We're like helping people not be fooled. Right. Don't be fooled podcast. That is us. Don't buy into the <laughs> sphincter, the sphincter stuff that is out there. All right. Get over to rawdogfoodandco.com. Hit that I'm overwhelmed button if you are, but I think that you're not. You're doing great. Just get it. Get all that process stuff out of there. Go to rawdogfoodandco.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.